welcome to Climate Action News one-on-one, -on -one, brought to you by We Don't Have Time and A Sustainable Tomorrow. My name is Katharina Rolf-Stotter-Jansson, and I'm the host of this program. Nasreen Alamin is the founder and executive director of Search Africa, a community-based organization that helps people understand the threats posed by the climate crisis and devising coping strategies to reduce its impact. So hello there, Nasreen. Uh, great to have you with us. You run an organization that is very, uh, much, very much people-centered. How is your work affected by the pandemic? Um, hello, Katrina. Thank you very much uh, for bringing me in. And so I would say that we're not very much affected, to be honest. Although we're a people-centered, that we, we move in a very fast lane time. Everything evolves. So if you really want to keep going, then you need to learn how to adapt as quickly as possible so once we realize that we're in a situation where uh, you know we can't go out to the communities to serve to do what uh, we are normally uh, designed to do we then designed us new programs that goes that align with the time and the ones that we, we moved everything online so to say and those that with those programs that we couldn't move online we just suspended them for the time being um for instance we have uh, a project a campaign about how to use art to portray the way a climate change is affect, affecting Nigeria. We wanted to do an exhibition. But once we realized that, you know, an exhibition is not possible within this year, we decided to go for a virtual exhibition. So, and, and in doing so, we realized, we realized that this might be more fun, you know, more innovative because um, it's not very well out it's not very popular to have an, a virtual art exhibition. So currently we're in the process of having the first virtual art exhibition in West Africa. So that's one. And well, in terms of our programs, we initiated this uh, webinar series called uh, the Business Unusual. So Business Unusuals are just a discussion about pre-existing socioeconomic issues affecting Africa. So we just look at them and have comprehensive discussion about how these socioeconomic issues like uh, you know, poverty, hunger, social injustice, economic inequality, how all these things could possibly uh, be complicated or aggravated by the pandemic. So uh, we designed these discussions in a way that they address this issue. And we also have the speakers uh, propose solutions on how to provide it. But often these solutions we kind of make uh, because, you know, for us, we feel like the pandemic and the climate crisis are sort of a um, symptom of a larger economic crisis. So whatever discussion we're having, we kind of uh, initiate it in a sort of sustainable, efficient manner that addresses them as one, not as separate issues. So that whatever framework governments or stakeholders would propose um, have a sort of continuity in the sense that post-pandemic, we don't have to say, oh, thank God, the pandemic is over, we have to drop this and then start something new. No, let's build a framework where there is a continuity of this action, whereby post-pandemic, we can just go on with building resilience without having to feel like we need to stop doing this and begin something entirely mm -hmm. new. So your organization, you work with environment, education, and human capitalization. Uh, yeah. How long have you been running and doing this work with Search Africa? Uh, we've been doing this for near three years now. Actually, May 25th is our 12th anniversary. And just to be clear, our environmental program is not 
uh, climate related because in my region, Northern Nigeria, we have the highest rate of out of um, school children with about 13.2 million kids out of school. So we initiated um, the projects to address that issue. So what we do is provide school sponsorship for young children that can't afford to go to school. So the education program is not uh, related, it's not climate related or environmental related. So it's basically you're addressing the multi-layer threats that you have to your society, which is connected to education, of course, and also gender yeah. equality. Uh, so where do, you get, where do you get your funds fund from in your work and, and how is that affected by the pandemic? Um, uh, currently, we don't really have any um, strong funding stream. Most of the funds that we use are usually crowdfunded or like in-house donation. So we haven't ever gotten um, funding from any external entity. So most of our projects are largely um, run independently. So I don't, we're not affected by the pandemic. But um, our project that I told you about, the program that we do business on, we're actually addressing the issues of fund and, you know, philanthropic investment, looking at how uh, um, aid, you know, or funding um, programs would be affected by the pandemic, considering every country is struggling to provide for its country. You know, so how is availability of funding in Africa going to be affected by that? Mm. Um, you just launched a project called Search, the Search X Media, and that you yeah. launched yesterday on May fourteenth because we're recording this. Uh, so tell me about the project. <laughs> okay, so um, Search X Media is designed to bridge the gap between community impact and climate news. So what we're trying to address is the lack of climate data in climate processes in Africa and the low climate discourse in Africa. And um, along the way, we, you know, um, identified that most of the times there are people, you know, just freelance photographers and normal people that go to community and source lots of contents that are newsworthy but they don't really have access to media in order to put out um, that news content. And in some instances, there are media houses that would love to put out that content, but they they might not necessarily have the funding to commission for those kind of uh, reports. So what we're trying to do is initiate strategic partnership and communications whereby, you know, content creators can submit to um, media houses and it gets published that way it reaches a wider audience so the focus is mostly on climate data and climate news and technical the technicality of climate data because we don't really have much widespread of that um but we're also looking at storytelling because um you know the climate narrative in africa is largely largely overshadowed by um, western narrative because people are more focused on on their media than our own local media. So we're trying to see how we can uh, create a platform where people can be very expressive, where people can speak their minds, where people can get their stories out there so that it doesn't get uh, manipulated by external entities. So um, we have a couple of initiatives within a subject media project. And the first one is the uh, submission process that I told you about. We have a page where people can go Wherever you are, you don't have to be an expert. As far as you have good content, you submit to us and we publish it for you. We also have a journalism training um, program where we train 
anybody is free to join. So the idea is to strengthen skills of the people that want to write uh, content but might not have the skills to. So it's also in a way trying to get quality content for our platform. So if you join the training, then you might be able to submit a more qualitative um, content first. We also have uh, the Untold. It's a, a visual documentary series. So essentially what we're trying to do with this is acquire visual data of how climate change is affecting local communities and how those local communities are responding to these challenges. And because we, we do have a very huge gap in climate data in Africa, um, we, we know that Africa is being affected and we know that it's going to be affected the most. But sometimes it's just very hard to and pinpoints where the data is or where it's coming from, especially locally sourced data. So our focus is to be able to amplify that, especially from a locally sourced data, with locally sourced data from you know young people or media content development persons in Africa. Um, we also have this campaign, it's called um, Hear Me Now. So we're not getting into that now, probably next year, but the essence of the campaign is to provide uh, visibility to climate activists in Africa. And because um, I personally, I realized that, you know, because I work with lots of people across different countries in Africa, there are lots of uh, young people doing amazing work in the climate space and they don't really get the visibility maybe because they don't have media access or because and the media that mainstream this um, climate activists uh, are not really interested in this kind of people so most of the time you see that the only climate activists showcased in global platforms or global um, forums are those that participate or support popular climate initiatives and most of the times when you really look at this so-called climate activists you don't really have any solid work on ground and the problem with this is that one day these people might end up having been in a position of power without really having the capacity you know to to lead and that's where the problem com- comes in you have people you know they say oh yeah it's uh, it's she or he's an african but there is no capacity so what we're trying to do is build a platform where you have um people that work in the climate space space from different sectors not just um climate activists you have campaigners you have people that work um in policy, you have people that work uh, with agriculture, so just having to bring people from different pair of the climate um, activism to say that. Okay, mean, this, uh, sorry, to, sorry to interrupt, but I'm just curious: how is your work received by the conventional media, by television stations, etc., all over your continent? Uh, how is how is it received, and what would you say the the re- re- general awareness is about climate climate change in, in, in your continent? Um, I think the general awareness, I would say, is not very good. It's a bit poor, in my opinion, um, because most of the times you would find out that um, the people that are aware of the climate crisis are usually people that are within the environmental, you know, climate sphere. That's, um, you know, uh, when you go from that, you barely find uh, well-educated people that uh, that know what's happening or that you know support these movements but and in terms of so yeah in terms of media or commercial media except if you're paying for that news content to be out there there are media platforms that carry it but it just isn't um well out as it's supposed to be so your work is important to to raise the awareness and also to yeah. involve the local communities uh, for viewers watching this and, and thinking hmm this is really interesting how do we what advice could you give to 
to people that want to uh, unlock more human potential in, in, in acting on climate change? What is your best advice to get people involved, especially youth? Yeah, I think uh, you, you really have, need to have a clear vision of why you are doing this, you know, and what you want to achieve that one. When you have that, then you need to have understanding of what you're doing and the people you're doing it with because people are different, you know, they come from different cultures, different backgrounds, so you need to know how to respect that. Uh, you need to employ compassion, you know, there needs to be acceptance. And I think a love is very important. People don't really talk about this, but in order to have all this, you also need to have love for yourself, for others, for nature, for the world in general. So once you have this, then you you have that a solidarity with people, then people would welcome you. You know, whoever you're approaching would welcome you and would the accept your ideas. Will, will be yeah. Comfortable in. Hmm. yeah. So Nasreen, uh, what is your greatest fear and your greatest hope when it comes to climate action in your continent. I mean, it's a huge part of the world, Africa, but, yeah. but from your perspective, you work all over Africa. What is your greatest fear and your greatest hope for, for climate action? So my greatest hope, I, I think we are already seeing a surge in the amount of participation from youth and youth organizations. So I really hope that uh, we can be able to rally more young people and more, you know, go, um, governments, governance, response to this so that you can be able to build uh, the, the resilience, the kind of resilience that we need to transcend from the state we are now to a more, you know, just livable planet. So um, that is my hope. Um, my greatest fear, to be honest, uh, one of my, because I have lots of fears, but one of my greatest fears is that, you know, I often hear about just transition and the like. So my greatest fear is that just transition really isn't truly just transition, right? So uh, we transition from this, uh, from fossil fuel, and then we uh, transcend into clean energy. But how sustainable is this energy? Uh, we talk, people say uh, it's more sustainable, yes, but, you know, renewables aren't made out of thin air. They're made from natural resources. Let's take um, solar for solar panels, for instance. That they're made from sand. So I, I just fear that they might come a time where people think sand is worthless now, right? So it's not really a threat. But what if it becomes so pre as precious as oil because you people need so we much energy, there's so much energy consumption. So I fear that you know these things that we're fighting for might turn out to be as was uh, uh, as what we left behind, as was as what we left behind, and then we have lots of um, you know social injustice, lots of uh, marginalization because uh, we didn't really structure our movement in a way that address this issue right from time. So I just worry about sustainability of clean energy itself, you know, how would that affect people, especially people from low-income countries like mine? Because there is lots of um, economic inequality between our countries and uh, first-world countries, and I don't think that gap can be filled. And I, I just worry about the balance and how, you know, multinationals and would uh, leverage that opponents and turn it into another, you know, not oil war, but what should I call it? Renewables war, just mm. as we... Well, this is something that has to be uh, has to be kept I mean, a strict eye on, it, of course. And this was also very much one of the hottest topics on the latest COP, 
to be to make this yeah. transition just and and to in the developing countries that they will be able to 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 stay stay um there will be an equal transition uh, and just transition uh, so Nasreen, when it comes to uh, climate leadership, what does climate yeah. leadership mean to you? I, I always give my guests this question. And do you have any good examples? Well, I have really thought about that. But I think um, climate leadership to me would be uh, to be able to carry everyone along because that is very important. We, I mean, we are in such an unequal world and we see that every year. So being able to keep everyone's perspective you know, and being able to align with everyone's right, I think, and that's very important in terms of what kind of leadership you're in. So I think um, that is very important. And another thing is, and just as I have questioned the just transition, I think even though we're advocating for something good, I think we should be able to question, you know, these things. You know, we should be able to take criticism, criticism. we should be able to look back and look inwards and see, you know, yes, this is great, we're doing this for the greater good, but you know, what are the effects, what are the impacts, what are the long-term impacts? So I think uh, once you have that, I think you can be considered, you know, somewhat a good leader or good climate well, leadership. So what do you and, um, is, is the importance of transparency, of, of, of engaging uh, many people in, in this work so it doesn't become a top-down process that people are really... Yes. Yeah, and also acceptance and acceptance... Sorry, and also acceptance and respect of, you know, other people because there are lots of uh, people involved in this. You can't just not be one-sided with it. Well, this is what you're doing in your organization. It's very impressive what you do. And I'd like to thank you very much for your work and also for joining us on Climate Action One-on-One. And best of luck, Nasreen Alamin, with Search Africa and on the new endeavor with with the Search X Media. It sounds like a great project. And for all of you viewers um, following us on this program, we'll be back next week. And meanwhile, you can uh, log into the We Don't Have Time platform or the app and uh, make sure you make your voice heard when it comes to climate action. And if you're based in Scandinavia, you can join a sustainable tomorrow in in the work that we're doing. And thank you very much for joining us and take care. Bye-bye. Coming up next week, Bertrand Picard is the initiator and visionary behind Solar Impulse, the first airplane that flew around the globe powered by the sun. In 2021, he will deliver 1,000 sustainable solutions he selected to decision makers, encouraging them to adopt more ambitious environmental targets and energy policies.